Welcome everyone to the Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Or me. The Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 10415 is brought to you by Basement Murder Library Installation. Just like bath fitters, only bloodier. Pete, here we are going coast to coast. Last night we recorded a Punisher podcast taking place in New York City. Tonight we are recording a Runaways podcast taking place in Los Angeles. Tomorrow, Pete, it's not East Coast, it's not West Coast. It's to space with agents in space. So much fun, all of it. Absolutely. Let's jump on in to the Runaways rundown. Nico finds her sister Amy in an apparent suicide. Amy tries to use YZ to call 911 while Tina overrides and seals the house. Tina uses the staff to nullify Nico, who, after waking, watches her mother meet a man in her office. A group chat via YZ commences. Nico is informed about Destiny's body washing up. She explains Amy's diary reveals Amy was happy. During the discussion, Chase cites that Alex's father was once in jail for murder, though the charges were dropped. Molly offers to be their muscle, but it's only useful when she's scared. Alex attempts to open the passageway again, but the coasters are just coasters. However, he finds cash and a gun beneath the drawer. Victor drives a white windowless van with a blonde girl gagged in the back while the Yorkses talk about their missing dinosaur, which has a tracking device that has never been activated. They debate who might have left the door unlocked as Gert eavesdrops about their need to find their very rare and valuable hedgehog. Dale is going to look for it with a drone. Molly says she fed the animals the other night but didn't notice a hedgehog. A pride emergency meeting is called, but Dale and Stacy intend to search the Palisades for their prehistoric pet. Victor meets Robert and Jeffrey but discovers the woman he hit with a tire iron and tied up is no longer in the van. Alex arrives at school where Nico tells him she believes Amy did not commit suicide and that she's going to the police after school. Alex reasons why they can't, but Nico's mind is made up. Victor believes he's suffering side effects from the malaria medicine he took for a trip to South Africa. It wasn't the box. It was him, but he's better now. Jeffrey has his people on the subject of the body. Leslie reports he is sicker than ever, and they need a replacement right away. Another parishioner will draw too much attention, so they need a homeless person or perhaps a prostitute, which Jeffrey objects to. Uh, Tina pairs her busy husband with Victor. The Yorks' absence is noted, and Leslie reminds them of the promise all those years ago. At lunch, Gert thanks Chase for not spilling the beans about the dinosaur in her basement. Chase's teammates confront him for not apologizing for the fight at the party, and they double down on what they were going to do to Carolina. But even though the states are coming up, they throw down. A girl blames Carolina, 
who doesn't remember for everything. Gert thinks Chase is just trying to protect Carolina. The mysterious man demands Leslie warm him and she disrobes and gets into bed with him where their pelvises glow. Frank waits outside Leslie's private meditation room and he asks her if she's having an affair. Despite his irrational fear, she's made arrangements for him at the crater to go ultra that night, which she claims has kept her occupied these past few days. On the team's bus, Chase's coach gives an irresponsible speech about whatever's come between them not being worth risking their athletic careers. Carolina recruits Gert on her mission to prove her parents are not killers. She speculates they witnessed an ultra ceremony, but Alex is not team. There's got to be another explanation. Victor and Robert get attacked by the strongest homeless man in history. Gert and Carolina bond over the seeming beauty of her religion and the faith in their parents as uh, good people. Carolina finds her mom's laptop with an encrypted ultra file they put on an R2-D2 thumb drive for Alex to figure out. Chase comes over and wants to speak to Carolina alone. At the police station, Alex surprises and accompanies Nico in reporting a pair of murders. Chase tells Carolina he's quit lacrosse. She admits she doesn't even remember his teammates being at the party. He tells her he walked in just in time. She invites him inside where she removes her bracelet and emits a good, warm feeling, sparkly glow. Nico and Alex wait at the precinct for the detective on the Gonzalez case who got an important call. Nico wants to leave when she sees Chase's dad being brought in with her father. Nico reveals that detective came to her house when Amy died. Alex always believed her, which is why he has a handgun in his book bag. Tina meets with a heavily tattooed man named Kincaid, whom she hands an envelope full of cash. The Yorkses haven't had any luck finding a dinosaur, and Stacy wants to leave, as in the country. Chase speculates Carolina's bracelet is some sort of inhibitor. She just wants to talk to her mom. Molly drafts an email to Catherine Wilder looking for information about her parents when she hears a noise. It's not Gert, but the dinosaur, which Molly kicks into the ceiling. As Molly prepares to punch it, Gert opens the door and tells them to stop, which they do. Gert realizes the dinosaur obeys her commands before her parents arrive and see what's happened. As the dinosaur is sealed back in its space, Gert tells her parents it listens to her. Stacy explains they created it for their protection. Dale says he'll explain more in the car on the way. Tina confronts the Yorkses about missing the emergency meeting. They cover with a story of a mushroom cave and spotty cell reception. Where would they go? The Hernandez's ranch in the Yucatan? Tina knows all about the large amounts of money they've been transferring there. She wants them to focus on the job that really matters, all of them. 
Gert asks what's wrong and calls her parents on their lying before her father chides her. Alex and Nico analyze the encrypted file, which he cracks and finds info about runaways. Chase works on his bionic hand project in his father's lab when his father returns home. He throws his work to the ground and demands his son sit and tell him his idea, starting with its name, Fistagons. Destiny, 16-year-old Brian Gephardt and Yvonne Taylor, all per LED, which they don't know the meaning of, are discovered on the encrypted file. One runaway a year for 15 years has gone missing. Nico cracks the code of LED, Leslie Eller Dean. They agree to tell Carolina before the barista tells Alex his car alarm is going off. Carolina hears laughter at her home before she is called by Nico, who explains her mother's extracurricular activities as she watches her parents celebrate her father's advancement to Ultra. Outside, Nico watches Alex abducted in a black SUV. Pete, as we start to look at the villains in this episode, I dare say it is Tina who rises to the top in that uh, in that rather evil list, particularly with this uh, with this chess move of, oh yes, I know of the Hernandez's land and the money that you're putting towards it and how suspicious it is. And I'm not going to say anything about it because don't you dare deviate from mysterious the plan. Four episodes deep here, Matt, we have seen a positive action from every parent save one because Victor sat down and in whatever mania he's in now, at least was going to have a moment with his son. Tina has not done any of that. There has been no redeeming action out of her to this point. She is now elevated to chief crappy parent. Uh, putting her daughter or her younger daughter down after the other one is seemingly found dead because of a suicide uh, with the staff, uh, locking her in her room, um, and just the general overall creepiness. Yeah, and I think that uh, I can only highlight what you just said, which is it's not just the actions that she is taking, it's also the inaction. It's the lack of parenting going on where... Victor, for all his flaws, and we've seen many, including, you know, directly killing runaway destiny. Um, it, it's it's that separate from everything else. If it's able, if you're able to view these scenes in uh, in in isolation, his kind of man to man encouraging his son to step up to the plate, pitch me your idea. What is it? Kind of this this notion of hey child of mine i'm happy to meet you in your first steps towards adulthood let's talk man to man about the this this invention idea that you have uh that melts my heart a bit for the evil victor um so at least he has that going for him yeah and uh it's it's not something that uh tina has had at this moment i mean she tried to go on a date with her husband it seems maybe more to like keep him in line than actually out of some kind of caring for him. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty rough there. Um, 
Let's talk about Detective Flores, Matt, the man who came to Tina's office on the morning that they found their daughter dead, again, seemingly of a suicidal overdose. Later, the same one who is there to bail Robert Minoru and Victor Stein out of trouble from the world's strongest homeless man. Well, let's do that in reverse. For starters, Pete, police show up, see two well-dressed men, at least one of which is uh, is is famous in Victor Stein, who's created all these things and guy of the year twice and so on and so forth, uh, as well as Robert, who uh, may not be kind of you know on the cover of Time magazine, but both of them clearly in the wrong neighborhood and a homeless man fighting with them. This Pete, this is not to be classist or anything like that, but how is it that those two guys got an ounce of trouble? It appeared, despite what we, the audience, know is the truth, it appeared that for whatever reason they were in this neighborhood and this guy attacked them. Shouldn't it just be a case of, oh man, we we took a couple wrong turns and then my friend here, he was feeling sick, so I pulled over and he he thought he was going to vomit and then this bearded man came up and attacked us. Oh, okay, sir, we're going to book him. Let's get your info 20 minutes later, they're on their way trolling for another homeless guy. I call right. story baloney. I, I, as I mentioned to you before, Matt, that's where the story needs to double down and go. Um, hail Hydra. That, that's what you need out of this end of it. Like, oh, hey, recognizable, uh, upstanding gentleman. Um, we'll remove this vagrant and make sure he gets to the place. Wink, right? Like help, help these, help these guys out with their human sacrifice. I get it. It's probably to push forth the idea that cops can be trusted, but this detective cannot be trusted. Indeed he can't. And that does make sense. If, if the entire police department isn't on the take, which, you know, let's not forget, uh, the, the parents here are, um, they may be super villains, but they're super villains on the QT. So it's fine that not everybody knows, Oh, watch out for them. But to have that one detective who's in there, who's on the take, who's in the know, that makes a ton of story sense. And frankly, it fits with, it fits with the world that we've been presented here in runaways. Lastly, Matt, Leslie Dean here, snuggling up and pelvis glowing uh, nakedly with uh, the mysterious figure who is not her husband, Frank. And then the subject of 15 years, 15 runaways, seemingly in service of she whose pelvis uh, she made glow. Well, A, I'm not entirely sure that it was his pelvis glowing pete someone's pelvis was glowing whether it was the one or the other or both all i know is super creepy creepy scene and um and yeah it calls into question who is this particularly pete let's just say there was a lot of icky kins going on there absolutely and Again, that she's going to leave that situation and encounter her husband, somebody we know they have used the Synergy serum on before. We view with sympathetic eyes already. And then, oh, well, yeah, we're going to take you to the crater. 
and make you ultra. That's what I've been doing. And needing to feed this mysterious man with the life force, I guess, of these runaways for 15 years. I mean, we don't have it established when he passed away, if that's even the dad or what's going on. But yeah, Leslie, uh, she's not Tina Minoru, but she's like right behind her. I like that the story continues to move in both directions, particularly when it comes to this mysterious man who wants her uh, heat. Um, it appeared when we were first introduced to him, oh, it's either this very decrepit, decrepitly old person or someone who's, you know, been in a coma all this time or has some sort of, you know, sci-fi parasite or aging thing, whatever it might be, they appeared to be static. Whereas it's starting to click in, oh, there's this cycle that this guy was in and he was at the end of the cycle necessitating a sacrifice to be given to him. Now we understand that there have been 15 of these sacrifices and we have yet to see what it's like for him to be charged back up to full battery power, if you will. So that's the interesting thing. And I dare say that could be a fun act end at some point where they finally do charge him up and you say, oh my goodness, Pete, uh, look who they've gotten. Why, it's renowned actor Alan Dale or something like that. A real moment to say, <laughs> oh, when the mask comes off, surprise, surprise. And when the when, when all the makeup comes off, I doubt they have a, you know, a big star wearing the full face mask at this point. But, you know, that the character be revealed to be in the visage of famous person. Well, let's talk some theories here there, Matt, um, with the discovery of Amy at the beginning of the episode and Nico's uh, detective work, it's clear Amy didn't commit suicide. Who got into the home because they they cite the the detective uh, asks here, you know, did you change the locks? Oh, we did three weeks ago. Who got into the home? Which pride member killed Amy Minoru? Well, I I think for story reasons, that makes sense looking forward. However, I'm not completely convinced uh, that, it, that it was anything beyond a suicide. Um, that said, I don't know what story fruit gets born by the notion that did she or didn't she is very vaguely floated. Uh, she did it herself. There's no further mystery. So I don't know that we're going to have a, a ton of story in that direction. So You don't she think was, that she, she uh, did not kill herself? I think that she is probably the victim of murder, that that is a better theory, although not supported to me enough by the facts, despite some of this, some of the questions of the detective. Um, who would do it? Well, Pete, as always, I feel like the, the, the affable Dale and Stacy seem to be least villainous. Is that a misdirect? Um, I feel like the power couple's I feel like the power couples who might be in opposition to the Minorus could be the Wilders. That's probably most likely maybe Victor Stein. But I think that the reveal that, that Catherine and Jeffrey Wilder did this awful deed, I think that that's more delicious to me. What about the um, condition that Victor continues to suffer from here? Sweaty as he's driving the car that uh the the van that may never have contained a girl that he hit with a tire iron did he imagine that where did she go it's never ever uh solved 
what's 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 up with Victor? Is this really the malaria meds or is he having a nervous breakdown? He does seem to be slowly mutating in terms of his personality. Uh also, that ending that is so sweet and so paternal is also so far from the, uh, you know, if you were really afraid of me, you wouldn't have gotten to see in the first place. That kind of king of the castle in the worst sense that we met uh, Amir three episodes ago. Yeah, I think something's up with him. I just don't know what. What about this promise that Leslie reminds them they made all those years ago? Well, I, that's what I... That's what I think I perhaps like the most about this show, aside from the performances. This idea that we are slowly uncovering the past and understanding how we got there, uh, or how we got to this point, rather. Um, it seems to be some sort of promise that has brought them together. I think that it's it's nebulous at this point. What are the connections between you know, Catherine the lawyer and, and Jeffrey, who appears to be in real estate or building, uh, the Yorks as scientists and Tina and Robert as investors and, and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, th that type and, and Victor as a scientist. The thing which binds them together that is called pride, the nature of it, we don't fully understand yet. And you know what? I'm okay with that. We're, we're almost at the halfway point here for the season. And I feel like, you know, we've talked about with, with previous Marvel series like Inhumans, you know, don't save much for too much for season two at the expense of season one. If we end this first season not really understanding what Pride is up to or what their motivations are in the past, I feel like that's OK, in part because we're getting rewarding character experiences. What about um, Leslie warming this mystery man and needing to do so? Uh, in the buff, Matt, did we rule out this is her father with that action or uh, is it her dad? Um, I think it's important to note that that was not a sexual act which occurred. Um, so I think if I'm not so sure somebody's pelvis was glowing. <laughs> Pete, well, let me unpack it this way. This was not. I've never snuggled with someone who is a relative that way. I would 100% agree with that, too. I think that the show wisely walks the line. It's one of mystery and one of various levels of grossitude, if that's a word. I think if we work backwards and say, are Hulu and Marvel going to show uh, an old man and his adult daughter doing that? Uh, no, but then also we don't see them in an act. It's kind of more that weirdo, glowy, cuddly time. Um, so I would say no, that has not been ruled out. And to, to just say skin to skin, don't get me wrong, dear listeners, super creepy, super weird. But I kind of feel like, hey, we're going for TV 14. I feel like that's not necessarily out of the question if indeed they are related. Ugh. It's definitely not hot. It's only warm. Let's continue along that line, Matt. What exactly is the nature of Carolina's power other than good, warm feeling, sparkly arms? Uh, either she can she can discharge uh, kind of light rays, alien rays, energy rays. Or, Pete, she has come to this planet to give us an alternative to incandescent 
LED and fluorescent <laughs> light bulbs. Is she some type of messianic figure around which the Church of Gaborim is based? Uh, see, what's difficult about the Church of Gaborim is we, I dare say, Pete, 95% of us watching ha- can peg Church of Gaborim as a weird cult-like organization. That's not to say but that But not the... tax-exempt yet, Matt. <laughs> True. They're um, looking for that. that. Well, well, Pete, that's a, that's a complex topic right there. Um, I think, you know, for us to see it as cult-like, I mean, we might have in our own communities similar, uh, similarly, shall we say, energetic and, uh, I don't know, I going to say closed off. You don't get the sense that the Church of Gaborim is in secret. Certainly it's not. I mean, Vanity Fair, Pete. Um, but there, there is kind of the, with, with the whole ultra and the notion of levels, I mean, not for nothing, Pete, this is an L.A. show with L.A. writers and L.A. producers. <laughs> Clearly, we're meant to have a, have a whiff of the old, the old Tom Cruise stuff, right? Uh, I... I think I, I don't know what you're talking about. I I don't think any of this is in any way based on a real world uh, faith, tax exempt or not, Matt. I, I think that the, the Church of Gaborum is clearly a fictional creation and uh, any similarities are only in the minds of its viewers. You're telling me that creators and showrunners josh schwartz and stephanie savage haven't taken a walk down hollywood boulevard (laughs) and haven't asked if they want to come in and hear a presentation not far from but not connected to the famous uh uh chinese theater and that whole uh that whole complex where the oscars is because pete i know i've walked down hollywood boulevard and gone a bit west of the chinese theater and nice people wanted me to come in and hear a thing and read a book and it was it was their bag, baby, not my bag. I'll tell you that. If, Matt, and this is a big if, our showrunners are alluding to uh, such a prestigious organization, I'm sure they are cursed by extraordinarily high Thetan levels that are dominating their actions because of sins in previous lives, not because of uh, the the nature of whatever non-tax-exempt uh, pseudo-faith. With all of that in mind, Pete, I wonder, can, can they be looking for a messianic figure in a in a religious organization that the show itself might find suspicion in, I suppose it could go either way. I, and I think certainly, let's see, how do I put this? One does not need to, uh, uh, Pete, anytime people collect there is uh, together, there is some lack of purity. So out of that lack of purity, uh, many would say a Messiah has come. Others would say a Messiah will come, but uh, can we get, in this organization that I think we can understand Leslie Dean is bad. She has had a hand in killing 15 people to keep old man masky face who likes nude snuggling to keep that person alive, that man alive. Um, is she doing bad things, but out of it could become, uh, could come a messianic figure. You know what? I like that idea. I mean, 15 years, 15 runaways seems to happen on a regular schedule with the, uh, the, the timing, uh, again, Amy's death coinciding with the, uh, time of, uh, destiny's, um, abduction. Uh, 
so here's another theory. If whoever is in the, uh, the respirator, uh, if that's not her father, has this always been a situation where the runaways are always used for that? Or have they been made to be used for other purposes? Um, I think it's intriguing and, and best left uh, open-ended for now. It absolutely is. It, it, it's a very, very intriguing show. And we're going to hear from from some other people in a little bit about the show. There, there's a secret sauce here that, that really is cooking. I don't know if it's because this is an adaptation. So you have that as a master guide. Although I was shocked to learn today, Pete, that uh, uh, Molly's parents in the comic book don't start out dead. So at a later point, we can discuss the, the adaptive process. But Mm-hmm. This is quite the uh, quite the collection of characters that they have together, which reminds me, Pete, there's a collection of characters that supports Fantastic Geek at patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. Boom. Some uh, some peas in there with your uh, mashed potatoes. Pete, how can other people support us? Everybody, Matt, who contributes at patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek is automatically promoted to ultra gets exclusive podcast content and then you can reserve your very own uh planet meditation suite uh at different levels so uh thank you again for even considering it and uh we hope to see you in the pete and matt meditation room uh international uh suite what we do guarantee is there will be no uh, no, no snuggle time. It's a big no on that. Keeping things totally professional. Indeed, Pete, there's a better reward out there than the glowy parts. It's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,653 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you like. We are Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with the P and the H. Visit FantasticGeek.com. Email FantasticGeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Like it today. For those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, it's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. coming tomorrow, a preview of that season. If you're listening on the Runaways Rundown Podcast feed, Pete, when next do we... Hold on, Pete. Wait, are we totally caught up? Are there no more episodes until next Tuesday? Oh, my goodness. caught up till next Tuesday. So we have all four in the can for you. Uh, Certainly, if anything, uh, worthy of our attention. I I was kind of sweating like... What if they put more than one up today? Because <laughs> we've been going at breakneck pace for the last week. It's going to be a fantastic geek uh, record. We're, we're going to probably wind up podcasting every single day for a solid week here. Uh, as we're capping a big year at uh, Fantastic Geek headquarters. But you know what? It's all for you. It's all because of you. And you're worth every moment we spend on the microphone. Well, Pete, with that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. I'll wait for my lift out here. Thank you.
this girl's hand was steadily moving up my thigh. She had opened up three buttons on her shirt so far. I guess that's why I didn't notice that police car. We're doing 90 in my mom's new Porsche. And to make this long story short, short, when the cop pulled me over, I was scared as hell. I said, I don't have a license, but I drive very well, officer. I almost had a heart attack that day. Come to find out the girl was a 12-year-old runaway. I was arrested. The car was impounded. had to come off a vacation to get me i'd rather be in jail than to have my father hit me my parents walked through and i got my grip i said uh mom dad how was your trip they didn't speak i said i want to plead my case but my father just shoved me in the car on my face that was a hard ride home i don't know how i survived it they took turns one would beat me while the other one was driving i can't believe it i just made a mistake well parents are the same no matter time no place so to you other kids all across the world Take it from me, parents just don't understand.